thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. This conference will now be recorded. Hey everybody, welcome to Holistic Finance. I'm your host, Ryan Burklow. On today's show, we've got a good one for you. On today's show, I've got Dr. Sean Hessler. Dr. Sean Hessler received the 2019 Abundance Award, the 2018 AANP President's Award, and the 2011 Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine Alumni Award for his community service. Alongside his wife, Dr. Sarah Preston Hessler, he co-founded the Mama Baby Haiti Birth Center in 2019, and he currently serves as the executive director of Naturopaths Without Borders, a not-for-profit operating in Haiti, Mexico, Thailand, and Phoenix. He also has his own practice himself. The interview is valuable from the aspect of he took a very different route into naturopathic medicine and how he got into his personal practice. He did not take that initial jump to starting his practice out of school. So there were several takeaways that I had, I'm hoping you have as well. And his charitable work and his not-for-profit work is thriving up until COVID, which obviously had to stop his travel, but what he's doing around the world was just fascinating and I thought it would be interesting for you all to hear it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Sean Hessler. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hessler. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Ryan? I'm well. I want to thank you for your time. I know you're busy, and uh, I was excited when you said yes to, to hopping on the podcast today. So thank you again for your time. Absolutely. Happy to chat. So in, in today's episode, you know, I, I thought it would be fun, um, maybe more for me, but hopefully for the listeners, that's the whole point of the show, right? Uh, fun to kind of dive into the your story in terms of, you know, why you became a naturopathic doctor, your your mission. I know you've got an atypical story, so I'd like to dive into that because not everyone's got the same story and, and experience mm-hmm. in, in joining that, that community and, and becoming a naturopathic doctor. And I know you also have a couple not-for-profit organizations that um, I found extremely um, intriguing and awesome that you do. So I want to make sure we we jump into that stuff. But, um, you know, to kick it off here, why don't we start with why did you become a naturopathic doctor? Sure. So I, I first got into the kind of holistic, integrative health realm through a sports injury in high school. Uh, when I was playing soccer, I hurt my back. And my physician assistant sent me to a chiropractor um, who got me back on my feet quickly. And I've always had this very inquisitive mechanical kind of mind. I wanted to know how it worked. Like, this didn't totally make sense to me. And I had been really into tech before that. I was a big computer nerd. And so I was like, geez, you like pop my back and uh, you know, give me some exercises and I get better. That's, that's interesting. So I ended up shadowing him um, as a high schooler. And really kind of dove in and I I'd interviewed him for a school project. And at some point I'd asked him like, what do you think about all this other stuff? Cause I, I grew up in a conventional household, uh, pretty much strict conventional medicine. And I said, what, what do you think about 
like acupuncture and herbal medicine and all that. And he's like, I, I don't do it. I, I stay in my lane, but I think it's all great. And I refer patients out all the time. And that was the first time I'd really heard like a really qualified person I respected say something like that. And so I dove in in college, actually met an ND, Dr. Ryan Furtroff, who's an SCNM grad and just fell in love with the medicine. Um, but really, what really cinched it is that I knew I wanted to do global health as a, as a career uh, from college. Um, I'd read a book that so many others in the global health realm uh, around my age have read called uh, Mountains Beyond Mountains about Dr. Paul Farmer and the story of partners in health. And, and I was just enthralled and uh, recognized my place of privilege in the world and wanted to leverage that to help people and to create a better world for everybody. So I knew I wanted to be a more complete uh, provider, more complete physician. Um, so my plan originally was to go to chiropractic college and go to acupuncture school, and then I was going to get herbal training, and then a nutrition degree, and then extra homeopathic training, and that we can do all that as NDs. So uh, <laughs> I changed my mind, uh, signed up for SCNA, moved to Arizona, and the rest is history. So basically, wanted to be a complete physician um, for the most vulnerable people around the world. Gotcha. And uh, that's what we're going to get to. It. That's pretty clear in the not-for-profits that, that you've started and and uh, helped with. But before we go there, you know, in, in my experience with speaking to a lot of NDs as well as um, working with, with a lot of them, the transition from school to, okay, now I need to start a practice, that's an eye-opener. Can you talk a little bit about your transition from school to having a practice? Yeah, I think I think this is probably the more atypical part of my story because most people who who went to school with me either um, you know did grow up with natural medicine and you know this is the profession that kind of puts it all together, um, or they were helped you know saved by an ND or something like that. Um, and and I I kind of have that too, but it's not the real reason I went to school. Um, so as soon as I graduated, uh, my wife and I we're both NDs. We're both um, we run Atchafalaya Without Borders, and you know have basically just done everything together for the last 14 years. Um, we were looking at a few different possibilities: um, working in the Dominican Republic with a volunteer organization. Um, Less, less on the health side, although yes, on the health side, um, potentially going down to Mexico um, and, and just being there full time. Or uh, there's a group of midwives in Haiti, uh, sorry, midwives in Oregon who had been to Haiti after the earthquake um, and worked with an organization down there. And they wanted to open a birth center, um, the only freestanding birth center in Northern Haiti. And so we, opted to help them do that. So we became the in-country directors and like literally the first boots on the ground and um, set up the Mom Baby Haiti Birth Center. So that that was literally a month after after getting my license. So wow. uh, so we, we basically packed up after uh, after school, um, you know, dumped my stuff off in California and then flew to Haiti and moved there for eight months. Um, and after that, we were back in the U.S. for a while, and then we 
plugged Natural Borders into Haiti. It was already a student organization. We made it a full not-for-profit independently in 2011 and just decided that was that was going to be kind of the bulk of our, of our global health work. So they, we were there for a number of years, um, half-time, like three months on, three months off. Um, and now have switched more to administration. We do as much field work as we can. Um, COVID has really put a damper on that, sadly, our ability to travel. But um, we also now do private practice, et cetera. So that for the few of us who do work in global health, that is kind of more typical track where if you didn't start doing it in school and continue it right away, there aren't really that many people who do private practice or teach, et cetera, and then kind of like give it all up and then uh, and do service work. It's usually kind of the other way around. Um, but right. there are really it's just literally a handful of us who do this. So um, ironically, I didn't start doing private practice. I was um, you know, seeing, seeing people who didn't have resources in Haiti and doing all that admin stuff. So I, I had an interesting transition. <laughs> so <laughs> but for, for our listeners here, um, that trend, that transition from, you know, starting with, you know, the, the practice there in Haiti, uh, and that, and the global health aspect to the, the, and then transitioning to the private practice, you know, what are, what are some things that you wish you would have learned or what are some, what are some, what are some pieces of advice that you would give to people and not from the standpoint of this is what I wish I've learned in starting a practice, but overall what have you learned from that transition from haiti to your private practice like how has that helped you in the private practice gosh well one thing i've learned is that i did focus on the right things in school um i think there's there's a tendency and and a a push within the profession i'm, I'm not criticizing this but it, just in terms of how the profession has kind of evolved philosophically, business-wise, there's been a push toward more specialization. So in, in this, I, I mean, the COVID firehose of information is completely overwhelming, but mm-hmm. pre-COVID, I know it sounds like it was 10 years ago, because everything has changed so rapidly. There was just so much information from people's eyeballs through advertising, Facebook, et cetera, news changing all the time, that there's there's been a marketing push toward specializing toward having a niche that you can kind of hook people into and you know throw google ads at it etc um versus the the old model of like the family doctor you know the house call doctor um who could help you with anything that was going on and then you know refer you if you do need some more specialized care that still definitely exists in the naturopathic profession um it seems like earlier on in students' careers, they're jumping into sports med or um, you know, just mental emotional stuff or single modality. And I wanted to be, since before I was um, even in school, like just a well-rounded complete physician. I knew afterward, if I really fell in love with a particular population like pediatrics or something, I had the flexibility to really dive into that. But uh, I wanted to be able to just treat anyone with anything. And so I focused on really learning the the foundations well, and I try to pass that along. Um, I wish I had 
not waited as long to uh, develop my uh, my regenerative medicine skills. So, uh, you know, prolotherapy, PRP, et cetera. I have wanted to do that since school and I didn't jump on, you know, you can only choose so much. You can't, you can't specialize in everything. Right. So right. I had done a lot of global health and that made me a solid physician. And I had always wanted to do those more advanced regenerate, uh, regenerative medicine techniques. And I wish I'd done them earlier. Um, what caused, what caused you to wait? Uh, availability of time and money <laughs> because you have to you know, pay to go get that training. And I didn't think I would be doing it in global health. Mm. And I had focused on global health initially. Um, and so now that I'm doing both global health and private practice, you know, I, I mean, I've, I picked up those skills, but, um, I wish I could have been doing it longer, um, that I could, could have been doing it earlier. I guess the other thing is I wish I had jumped earlier on my overall knowledge of the nuts and bolts of nonprofit management, fundraising, and, and overall marketing, not just for not-for-profit things, but for um, private practice. And again, that has evolved quite rapidly with the rise of Facebook, et cetera. That was all happening while I was in another country and not, you know, not solely focused on that, uh, focused on my field work, but it, it is still changing rapidly, um, literally month to month now as, you know, things are changing with uh, social media, TikTok versus right. the rise and maybe the follow question mark of TikTok at the same time. And uh, I just wish I was more of a master with that. And and I would suggest that to students as well to to get started on that early, um, and to understand that it is a continually evolving game. Um, you can't don't just like start your Facebook and put up things. Um, know that uh, Facebook is largely pay to play now. <laughs> so yes, yes, it is. Like and that has changed in the last few years because we had a lot of growth in our organization through Facebook, and now we put you know even better content out now and nobody sees it and the, the algorithm change it you know to your point that the pay to play with social media you know on one hand it's like well it was a free platform for us right so they had to make some sort mm -hmm. of money and granted by going public with these companies that's that that was their play mm -hmm. um i think you're seeing that a lot with with any of the, the new social media platforms it's it's they started out free and then they changed the algorithm i think instagram just went through something like that as well if i'm not mistaken yeah so the, yeah, the marketing so Go ahead, focus sorry. on that <laughs> yeah well Pass and that's, that's the biggest thing that I, I think every time i ask that question that's a commonality with almost every naturopath from school to practice or or not-for-profits is you're, you're going to school to learn how to be a doctor you're not going to school to learn how to market <laughs> but and it's both for us because that's the reality of the profession there it is it is a, an entrepreneurial centered profession. So like how I had to learn, you know, to be a really complete physician from school and then just landing in Haiti, uh, as well as the not-for-profit side, et cetera, like we have to learn collectively to be entrepreneurs and good physicians at the same time. That's a lot. 
And then to practice it and, and hone start... it because it changes. Medicine changes constantly. Business world changes constantly. So, yeah. And you're wearing all of the hats from janitor right. to CEO to actually, you know, the, the reason you got into the profession being a doctor. <laughs> it's an ongoing joke. Um, when I'm in Haiti, I have just a dozen hats at all times. Uh, sometimes I'm volunteer manager. I'm the supervising physician. Sometimes I'm one-on-one. -on -one. I'm teaching the community health workers and managing them. I'm driving our weird like motorcycle vehicle thing around. Uh, <laughs> it just never stops. And I'm the photographer and videographer. And I'm usually posting. You do what you got to do, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It's crazy. I get it. Uh, I always, I've said this before on, on other episodes that we've had, the financial professional profession, you know, we, well, we don't have the, the schooling, like you, you all have it much, much harder from the schooling aspect, but from the actual starting of a practice, you know, we're, we're thrown in there. And while we're educated around, you know, how to, how to help people with their finance, we still have to wear all of those hats that you just mentioned, right? right. They might be slightly different hats, but it's not just one hat. So um, it, it's difficult and it is what it is. You have to do what you want to do. Um, and hopefully the, the passion, the drive is there to, to stick it out. The resilience is, is difficult. Absolutely. So, well, you know, we brought up Haiti several times. Uh, I'm excited to get to the, your organization. Uh, you know, you're the executive director of Natch Pass Without Borders. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your mission and, and what that not-for-profit is about? Sure. So uh, when when I say natural without borders, the first thing that pops into most people's minds is doctors without borders. Are you like doctors without borders? Um, not really. Uh, doctors without borders is focused on short-term care in crisis situations, either natural disasters, civil wars, uh, that kind of thing, like uh, acute humanitarian crises. We are almost totally the opposite. We're focused on long-term um Essentially, naturopathic medicine is a, a mix of healing traditions from around the world throughout time that have been kind of synthesized together. Like the, the common threads through them have been woven together into a coherent philosophy and system of care. And to us, that doesn't just belong to Americans and Canadians, um, you know, in, in terms of the physician level practitioners of this medicine. It really does belong to each of these cultures, which has cultivated this medicine over the millennia. And so we are serving people who are colonized, post-colonized, um, struggling with structural violence of the world, and largely have had their medicine stripped from them. Um, and then are generally unable to afford conventional care which mm -hmm. is amazing for the areas in which it shines, such as emergency care, um, you know, specialty care, advanced diagnostics, et cetera. But the people that we serve generally don't have access to the fruits of conventional medicine. Um, and in the areas where it relatively does not shine, when you look at naturopathic medicine, um, you know, chronic disease, chronic pain, um, using the plants that grow around you, using your food, using your hands to heal yourself and to heal others. We really shine as NDs 
working in tough situations with limited resources. I think there's this perception that uh, naturopathic doctors, uh, because we have, depending on the state, um, um, you know, generally not insurance parity. Right. So it kind of leaves people who can afford you that it is a, it is a medicine for people with a lot of money. And that's not inherently true. That's, that's a structural issue within the United States um, and, and Canada to an extent, but the medicine is not inherently expensive uh, or complicated at its best. And this is why we focus on our foundations and what we teach our volunteers, whether they're integrated professionals, whether they're naturopathic students or just general volunteers, is that you can build health with your hands, plants around you with food as your solid tools to build a foundation. And then you have more advanced therapeutics on top of that. So that's essentially what Natural Path Borders does. We're trying to educate communities and help them kind of cultivate their own sustainable resources to heal themselves and take care of themselves. Oftentimes, communities have the knowledge, they just have obstacles to, uh, you know, to reaching their aspirations, to, um, to strength, and, and that's generally from outside influences. We, we're not a political organization, we're not focused on fixing government, et cetera, but we can help people live healthier, more vibrant lives. So that is our focus. I know that um, from, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, it's not just Haiti, but you've got Mexico as well. And uh, is it Thailand that you're also? So, and then also the United States. And the United States. What, how do you choose which country, like where did those three countries come from? Why, why were those the three countries that you went to? Sure. Um, we go where we've been invited by the local community and or organizations already doing work there. So I guess we uh, add one more thing onto the list of lessons learned. Um, Learn that lesson first, <laughs> if you're doing service work. Um, learn what you're good at and what you are, again, relatively not good at. Like whether you're talking about your style of medicine or your business acumen or whatever, and focus on your strengths and work as a team to develop, develop your deficiencies and the strengths together. So we do best doing the field work, doing, you know, training local health professionals, how to do some basic acupuncture, some basic injection techniques for pain, um, you know, alternatives to, to medications for reflux and hypertension, et cetera. We don't really use our talents in managing large staff and running a hospital uh, or something like that. So we'd rather work with organizations that are already doing that, not recreate the wheel, not work in parallel, but work with them. And help them to to do to, to add on to their work and so um mexico is the first place where we started working in the kind of modern era of naturopathic borders it actually i'm not a founder it started two years before me it's a reason why i went to southwest culture naturopathic medicine in the first place um and they had been working in the community clinics at scnm which had just started and realizing that there's a need for more practicing medical spanish among the student body and so they did that. And then they thought, well, let's do, so they started a Spanish club. And mm -hmm. then they thought, well, um, international work is pretty cool. Let's try that. And so they had sent some students to Guatemala. They had done some local work too. They weren't just solely internationally focused. 
Um, but it was really starting in Puerto Penasco, Mexico, also known as Rocky Point, to those of you who are from Phoenix, that uh, in 2006, that kind of started this kind of monthly tradition of um, going down, working with, uh, you know, local physical therapy organizations, churches, et cetera, to um, tell people there who are falling through the cracks um, and to try to use local plants, use food, et cetera. So that's our longest running project, but our main project is in Haiti. We have a full-time doctor for um, Haitian community health workers who work there, even throughout COVID. Um, Thailand, we were invited by a doctor um, who has lived there for 20 years. He's actually Burmese, um, but he has been helping, he's been the sole doctor for most of the Northern Hill tribes um, around Chiang Rai and is always looking for help. And so we've been helping him for three years now. Um, and then in Phoenix, we've worked with a couple different community organizations. Currently, we're supporting Peacework Medical, which is um, LGBT free clinic for the underserved. Uh -huh. And yeah, and we had been working with another group in Phoenix, and they invited us to come. They wanted, they liked the medicine that we do. Think it would help their population, and so it's been great. Out of curiosity, um, when you went to, you know, for instance, Haiti. Was there uh, a shocker going there, like either culturally there or something that you just weren't expecting when you went there and you're like, oh, crap, didn't expect that? Uh, count Countless things. <laughs> <laughs> countless things. Uh, and that's that's a challenge with, I mean, even within the United States moving to, you know, before we started talking, you said you're from the East Coast and you're right. just moving to the West Coast. There's a a difference in how you just interact with people, like how you know, direct, in a sense, um, you know, to the West Coast, you'd be more, how blunt you are, right? There's like a little edge on that. Sure. Um, but then to the East Coaster, you're like, can you just get to the point? Because <laughs> you're dancing around with your language and I don't like, just say what you need, right? Uh, imagine that times 11. Um, mm. It, There are, you know, I, I would say that, the more the more you travel internationally, um, do what you can to really, with a completely open mind, with recognizing your own biases, your own lens, your privilege in being able to to travel and do so. The more that you meet people around the world, the more that you see that people are more alike than they're different. Largely, our values are the same. The way that we do things is different. Our language is different. Um, the history is different, uh, governments are different. And, but at the same time, we all kind of want the same things for ourselves and our families. And, you know, there's different flavors of that, but um, it really does, does kind of build bridges. So uh, I just, I mean, I've, I've done several talks on, um, you know, differences with Haiti and what, what I like to say, uh, is to not study cultures out of a book um, and to understand that anybody who tells you, oh, Haitians are like this, uh, is that everybody has their own lens. And so it, their frame of reference and talking about a different culture is important and should be recognized. And so if it's a Haitian person who is used to talking to people who visit Haiti, they're like, here are the things that commonly come up. That's a, that's a really valuable perspective if you are one of those 
people, you know, from outside visiting Haiti, you know, who's an American or is a Canadian or something. Um, for other people who go to visit, it's, it's going to be highly variable. And if, if you go somewhere and spend a week or two, you don't know the culture. You, you don't. You, you, you'll barely scratch the surface after years. Um, and so uh, keep an open mind, ask questions, um, and, and understand that there's no best way to do things. Um, that is a colonial mindset that we should definitely try to program out of out of our population. But um, there are lessons from from every culture, really, that can inform all of us to to be healthier and happier, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's gotta. I, I gotta think that that you know with that that experience and the things that you've learned and had to to go through coming back to the United States has only helped you in engaging with either patients and other naturopathic doctors and, and being, I know you're a teacher, that's got to help you be more well-rounded to be able to speak into different um, ideas and concepts. It, yeah, in my opinion, it has been. Um, it helps you see the, the things, um, try not to wade into um, kind of the, the, the larger, politics of missionary work and international service work quote unquote um mm -hmm. i mean intense self-critic and critic of others not just their motivations but how they actually do things and what are the actual downstream effects in the people by recognizing your privilege your ability to go um i mean not today with covid but pre-covid almost anywhere with your passport <laughs> Right. Uh, the people that you're going to see cannot do the same. Um, there's an inherent imbalance of of uh, of power in that that you need to recognize. Um, but you'll also see that your own culture has some shortcomings that you don't realize uh, until you go to another place and see a different way of life, even if it's just the little things. Um, it's something that that we do in a we do a reflection exercise at the end of our uh, our week-long plus trips um, that we adapted from um, from another exercise it's called the unpacking exercise and part of it is learning to kind of package up the the thoughts you've collected the, the things you've observed and bring them back with you um, and think about how they might apply to your daily life and also realize that for some people uh, they realize that there's this kind of cultural rat race um, in the United States. And to be away from that for a period of time, when you come back, it can be a little, it could be kind of enraging. So then dip back into it and having your set schedule and all the things. And, you know, you had this kind of honeymoon period in your head and you come back and you just see the things that irked you before. Maybe you didn't realize them, but they irk you more now. And to realize that's a normal reaction. <laughs> <laughs> you should not sell all your stuff and go move somewhere. Like, relax. Try to integrate <laughs> the lessons instead of like throwing your life away. Um, we show some videos to kind of make light of this um, to our new volunteers as well. So, um, yeah, I've, there's there's going to be differences in um, you know your perception of how people work, how they work together, individual versus collective. Etc. But I would say of the places I've worked, the the cultural differences in Haiti um, have been the most striking to me as 
you know, a West Coast white American. Yeah, I, uh, I I definitely understand that. My father was military, so I grew up kind of all over the world. I mentioned the East Coast was was a lot of the extent, right. but I lived in Okinawa, Japan. I lived in Crete, Greece. I lived in Frankfurt, Germany. So um, it's interesting when I have conversations with, I'll just call them right Americans. Most Americans have really not left the United States, and so their understanding of what the Japanese culture is, if they read it out of a book versus me living there, it, it can be very, very different. And a lot of that has shaped who I am and how I interact with people, probably both good and bad. I'm guessing I probably picked up some bad habits possibly out there too, but um, so we all. You, you mentioned uh, as you're talking about that and the culture and bringing that in. And when you come back to the United States, like, really saying, crap, you know, this is the part of the United States that's bugging me and 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 trying to not flip out rather than take that all in and try to better yourself and, and better the community is a huge piece. So just, yeah, uh, I, I think that that's a that's kind of a duty that we have um, once you've had this experience is to to share those lessons. Don't don't share the glory of, oh, I just saved a bunch of people or something. That's absolutely the wrong mindset, and that just perpetuates more of the problem. But um, to especially share the positive parts um, of that, um, I think makes a huge difference. And I my first experience to this really was uh, college. So I went to college at the University of Hawaii uh, on Oahu, and I. I mean, admittedly, did not understand the history, um, did not really understand um, uh, the the varied cultures. It's a very multicultural, multicultural society there. Yes, yes. Um, and it, in, in studying that, really did open my eyes to a, a very dark piece of American history. And... Um, ongoing struggles regarding sovereignty and you know who gets to be in charge that has really continued to inform my worldview today and I, I wish people would have a piece of that education before they would do international travel um, so that they're able to realize their own lens their own biases and looking about the world because that's it's so important to do that internal work first um, to maximize your experience, to minimize the amount of interference that you kind of do, you know, into a community, um, and to learn to listen to people. I, I think yeah. that also goes with being an ND is we are we are the doctors who listen. We are the doctors who spend a lot of time with patients and really listen to everything. And we are good at kind of putting our lens aside and trying to step into our patient's experience. And we can do the same thing cross-culturally, I think. I think that would be amazing. 100% agree and love it. You brought up volunteers. Um, so are there opportunities there in the, the not-for-profit not there? If, if anyone's listening that wanted to to volunteer, are there opportunities there within the not-for-profit? Uh, hypothetically, yes. So if you had asked me six months ago, <laughs> I, would, I would tell you, yes, sure. each yeah. of those four locations. Things are a little different with COVID right now. so. We have volunteers um, on a, a limited basis. We are 
um, game planning our return to serve the community of Puerto Penasco, Mexico, right now as we speak. Um, we have a, those aren't the only ways to help, right? And again, field work is kind of the sexy thing to do. I'm going to be the one traveling and doing stuff. Right. But there's so much more behind the scenes because of COVID, um, the lack of donations. We are doing our best to stay afloat and continue serving these communities. Um, so we have a variety of fundraisers that are like we're currently blasting out. We have a virtual fun run coming up in late September. I believe signups close on September 12th. So like you could do a, your virtual 5K or 10K and get your friends to do it and donate that. Like fitness is good for everybody too. We are currently producing some NWB cloth masks, which look awesome and everybody's really excited to get them. They're almost ready to be shipped out. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're working on a cookbook and some other things. So we have ways to get involved and, and help out that are not, traveling, doing the work. Um, if you watch this podcast in a year, uh, if you listen to this podcast in a year, things will be different, <laughs> right? So hopefully uh, the world will be a bit more open. Things will be under control with COVID. But um, yeah, currently we're not, we don't have outside volunteers like coming to help with things, but we do want your information for the future. Um, NWB.NGO has signup forms. Just know that the, the dates are not current. We're not, um, kind of quote going anywhere right now. So for those listeners that are wanting to maybe reach out to you or learn a little bit more, where would you direct them? So our, our website for National Pass Without Borders is nwb.ngo. And our most current information um, is is on social media. So we have a Facebook page, National Pass Without Borders. We're on Instagram as at nwb underscore global and then for me i have a professional facebook page dr sean x because my middle name is xavier so i got to use that it's fun um i don't have a website or anything and you can always email me just sean.hessler at gmail.com i'm happy to answer any questions about global health naturopathic medicine whatever i, I do my best to follow up but sometimes i get overwhelmed perfect so we'll put the, those in the show notes make sure if you want to reach out uh, check the show notes uh, Dr. Hess, I so appreciate your time again. Um, this was uh, informational for me. Hopefully, it's informational to our to our listeners. And uh, definitely, best of luck. If there's anything we can do to to help, def, def, reach out to us, and, and we'll. I've already got some ideas in regards to your run and the the cloth mask. So I appreciate you bringing that up, and we'll, we'll definitely help out where we can. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Take have a good one. YouTube. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or quantified financial partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors at Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 3-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0
subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian.